in the book of Galatians. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 6. So I'd love to have you turn there. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would give us understanding into your word. Lord, remind us of those essential truths, especially as we sit at your table. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to notice real carefully what Paul writes in verse 11 as he begins to wind down this letter. Look what he says. He says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Look at these large letters that I'm writing to you. With my own hand. Now, why, why would Paul say that? Why would he make mention of that? What's going on? Well, Paul wrote most of the letters that make it into the New Testament by dictation. He would dictate his words to an assistant who was good at Greek, who would then write down those words. That's how the bulk of his letters were written. And you ask, well, why did Paul dictate? Well, some believe it's because he had poor eyesight, that that may have been his physical ailment, his thorn in the flesh, and he had a hard time seeing. So he had someone dictate. Others think that maybe he was more proficient in Hebrew. He wasn't very good at writing Greek. He knew Greek, but he'd rather have someone with better uh, Greek handwriting skills. Whatever the case, he would dictate the letters. But he would always finish the letter with his personal handwriting. This was to authenticate that the letter was from Paul. Some of the false teachers diabolically um, wrote letters to churches pretending to be Paul. And so there were false letters out there. So Paul, to authenticate his letter, would write the last part with his, last, with his own handwriting and sort of sign his name to it to authenticate it. Now, why does he say, with large letters, I have written to you? And by the way, it is believed that Paul wrote verses 11 through 18 with his own handwriting. And this is one of his longest concluding letters with his handwriting. Now, why does he say with large letters? Well, um, again, some say that he couldn't see very well, and so he wrote big. Very possible. But other Bible scholars believe, and I believe, that he intentionally wrote with big letters to emphasize, to make this stand out. In fact, the phrase, write with big letters, according to J.B. Phillips, according to centuries-old Eastern usage, this could easily mean, note how heavily I have pressed upon the pen 
in writing this. So he was emphasizing. If he were typing this, it would be like all in caps or in bold or in underlined. So I just want you to know that before we read, this last part is real important. It's emphasized by Paul. He has very important truths that we need to understand as Christians. So let's see what he writes. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that may may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So, Paul is speaking to the issue of circumcision in these closing verses. In fact, he mentions circumcision five times. Circumcision is also something that he mentions several times in the whole letter, as we have seen. Circumcision was the sign of the Jew in a covenant relationship with God. God commanded the Jewish people in the nation of Israel, the males, to be circumcised. It was a symbol of their consecration unto God. It was a national ordinance for the Jewish people. All Jewish males were circumcised. This was practiced and held sacred for 2,500 years, going back to Genesis chapter 17, when God commanded Abraham to do it. So Paul says something very, very radical in verse 15. We talk about bolding things and making them emphasis. I'm doing that up here on the screen. Paul said... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So Paul says to those folks, circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing in your relationship to God. Being circumcised adds nothing of value in your relationship with God. Being uncircumcised adds nothing of value 
in your relationship with God. You do not get saved by being circumcised. You're not saved by remaining uncircumcised. The practice of circumcision has no bearing whatsoever in your relationship with God. Paul's teaching in this book is that the gospel of grace has changed everything. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ has changed everything. With Christ, all are saved the same way. Through faith in Christ, by the grace of God. And that is true of all people, all tribes, all nations, from the circumcised Jew to the uncircumcised Gentile. Circumcision has nothing to do with it. Now that was not something that the early false teachers in the church like to hear, these Judaizers. These were the ones that couldn't let go of circumcision. They were pro-circumcision. In fact, even in the book of Acts, they're referred to as the party of circumcision. These were the ones that said, you can't be saved unless you get circumcised. Unless you come under the law of Moses. And that's exactly what they were telling those Christians, many of them who were Gentiles, in the regions of Galatia. Verse 12, these were those who would compel you to be circumcised. Verse 13, they desired to have you circumcised. So the false teacher said, now you've got to be circumcised. And Paul says, No. Circumcision or uncircumcision avails nothing. You are saved through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And when you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus and a new person. Now this brings up some very beautiful principles concerning Genuine Christianity, which I just want to remind us of tonight. And the first principle is this. Christianity is fundamentally not a religion of external ceremonies. But it's something inward and spiritual in the heart. True Christianity is about inward transformation not external activity. True Christianity deals with the core problem of the human race. And what's the core problem of the human race? Sinful heart. We all have a sinful nature. We have a sinful heart. That's what's wrong with the human race. The only thing that can change a heart is the gospel message. Faith in Jesus Christ. 
religious activity, external religious activity, and ceremonies, and rituals, and rites, like circumcision, they don't change the heart. Verse 15, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. It's the new creation. It's the new creation. So a lot of people want to get other people religious like these Judaizers. Thinking that that helps. It doesn't help. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus came on the scene, um, he didn't get along very well with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, right? I mean, there were a few that he got along with, but he didn't get along with them. These were very religious people. These were the ones who put all kinds of um, religious ritual on people, traditions, commands. Certainly, you had to be circumcised. You had to keep the Sabbath day. Uh, They had this elaborate hand-washing ceremony that you had to go through before you ate food, all these different things. And uh, Jesus, at one point, said, guys, it's not what goes in your body that makes you unclean. What's in you is unclean, and what comes out of you is unclean. So Jesus said in Matthew 15, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Those are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a man. There's only one way that the core problem of the human race can be fixed. One, and that is to be given a new heart, to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Don't think that if you join the Mormons and start keeping all their laws, that you're gonna, that's going to help you. It won't. Or if you join the Jehovah Witnesses and think you're going to start keeping all their laws, and that's going to help you. Or if you're going to join the Muslims and keep all their religious laws, that that's going to help you. It won't. Or if you're going to join a legalistic Christian, quote, unquote, church that preaches works. And you've got to do all of these things and, and then you're going to be fine and you're going to be saved. No, that, that, won't, that won't help you. Or the church that says you got to keep all these sacraments, you got to do all these rituals, you got to go through all this stuff, like that's going to help you. It won't. Can't change your heart. Folks, even the ordinances that Christ commanded us to keep, like water baptism, getting baptized in water won't save you any more than getting circumcised. We're about to partake of communion. Partaking of communion doesn't change your heart. It's an outward, external 
ceremony. Now, we practice it because it has meaning. When we get baptized in water, we're taking a step publicly. We're proclaiming our faith. When we partake of this ordinance called communion, we're remembering. But that doesn't save you. No outward religious activity saves you. It's like circumcision. Veils you nothing. Faith in Jesus Christ gives you a new heart. That's it. Faith in Jesus Christ. I think of some of the answers that the world comes up with to try to help people. What does the world say? If you want to help people, throw more money at them. Does that help people? Or if you want to help people change and live better lives, um, you know, they need more education. Or they need to be in a better environment. Or all those people that are kind of sick mentally, man, you need to get them on drugs. That'll help them. Now, I think some of those things are good and, and can be a help, but none of those things will cure the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is that we have a sinful heart. And Jesus can give you a new heart. And yes, it is supernatural. And it is spectacular. Isn't that neat to know that you can have a new heart? Really? That you can become a new creation in Christ Jesus? True Christianity is inward transformation. Now, here's another beautiful principle about true Christianity. True Christianity is God-oriented. It's not man-oriented. True Christianity is about what God does, not what man does. The emphasis in true Christianity is God, his work, not our work. So you know for certain, the Bible teaches, and we've seen it over and over and over again here in Galatians, Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't do religious ritual and ceremony to save ourselves. We can't keep a law. We can't do enough good works. We can never be good enough. Even those, even the people in your life that seem like they're pretty good people, you know, There are good people. There are people that have a form of righteousness. You would say, hey, man, they're pretty righteous people. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, We are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The best human on the best day is like filthy rags. In the eyes of God. Because he's perfect holy. And right, There's no way. You have the power to save yourself. It's not about what you do. You can't earn it. Praise be to God. He does it. He does it. 
We have a God of grace who sent his only begotten son to live a perfect life among us, to go to the cross and pay the price for our sins and rise again so that if we put faith in him, he saves us. The power of God at work. And by the way, my brother and sister in Christ, those of you who are born again, who have given your life to Jesus Christ, you know that you're saved by the power of God. Now, I would also want to challenge you to have that same attitude in the way you live your Christian life. Gang, Christianity is living life in the power of God. It's walking in his power and in his enablement. When you become a Christian, don't go back to a law-keeping, rigid rule, ritual, religious ceremony kind of Christianity. Don't make it something that's all your effort. Remember this, when you place your faith in Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. You do become born again. You're given a new heart, a new nature, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Christian living is supernatural living, where we walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment. Where we live our life out of relationship with Jesus Christ. And God's power flows through us. Everything about Christianity is God-directed. Including your walk as a Christian. You know, when you start going back into the legalistic thing. and I mean, Paul mentions how these people wanted to have a show for the flesh and how they boasted in the flesh. You know, a lot of times Christians who will go back to this self-effort, religious rule-keeping, they get arrogant, they boast in what they do, they compare themselves to other people. No. Christianity is about God working in and through our lives. But you say, Terry, we just learned last week that our lives should be filled with good works, right? And we should read our Bibles and be disciplined. And there's a lot of things of activity that we should do. Yes, we do that. But the perspective is never, as a Christian, that you're doing this in your own effort. Or that you're doing it in order to get I don't know, more blessing from God. You do it with a dependence upon the Lord. The reason we read our Bibles and pray and go to church and fellowship is to get to know Jesus better. And to abide in Jesus. To grow in our relationship with him. And that empowers us. To live for him. Please know this. 
everything about Christianity is God-oriented, right down to who you want the glory to go to. Why do you live for Christ? Do you want people to see how good you live for Christ and go, wow? No. Jesus said, perform your good works that they may glorify who? Your Father in heaven. Everything. If you can get everything in your life as a born-again Christian oriented towards God and off yourself, spectacular things will happen. We're told in Hebrews, keeping our eye on who? The author and finisher of our faith. Who? Jesus Christ. We're always following Christ. He's our point man. He's who we look to. He's who we live for. He's who we grow in. Everything about Christianity is depending upon God. In fact, the last verse where Paul says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I emphasize the whole verse, and I emphasize one word in the whole verse. What's that word? Grace, the unmerited favor of God towards you. My brother and sister in Christ, you live under grace. Not law. God has so poured his grace out upon your life. He's saved your soul. He's given you a new heart. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. The grace that he pours out upon us. And he loves you and he wants to use you. And we serve God Because we're thankful. We're grateful for his grace. All right, one more very important principle about the Christian faith. The Christian faith is centered and focused on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. I've taken another verse out and I've put it up there and I've boldened it. Verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the Christ, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Gang, the Christian faith is absolutely centered. Upon what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished for us at the cross. God's Son left heaven. Came here, took upon human flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and bore our sins. And rose again the third day. And only because he did that can you and I be saved. Only. Because Christ did that, do we have a place in heaven. Only because Jesus did that for us on the cross can we be given a new heart. Only because he did that can we receive the Holy Spirit. Only because he did that we can be crucified to the world and the world crucified to us, as Paul says. 
everything about the Christian faith is centered upon and dependent upon the sacrifice that Jesus made for us at the cross. If that doesn't happen, we're lost forever. The primary message of the Christian faith is Christ crucified. That's what makes all this possible. And Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you're going to boast, boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, if we're to boast, we should boast in what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the message that we should champion. That's the message that we keep front and center. And Paul would also say, this is the message that we should willingly be persecuted for. We should be willing to be persecuted for the message of the cross. Now, the Judaizers up there in verse 12 says they would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So there's a lot of people that will get into the religious thing because they don't want to be persecuted by other religious people who ignore the cross of Christ. But Paul says, if there's a message that you should be willing to be persecuted for and champion and boast in, it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, Paul was persecuted for that. Look at verse 17. He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a really interesting verse. The Greek word for mark is stigma. And it speaks of the stigmata or stigmatizations. Have you ever heard that? It's a mystical thing. Some people believe that the marks of Jesus, the nail prints, the feet prints, all that, appeared on Paul. That he bore in his body the marks of Jesus. It was said that Francis of Assisi was contemplating the wounds of Christ. And he was so drawn into that that there appeared in his hands, feet, and side blackish, fleshly excrescences exuding a little blood. There have been 321 claims to these things happening up to the beginning of the 20th century. Stigmatizations. Now, I... I've never seen that on my hand. Have you? I've never heard of that. I've never seen it. I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I think that it could happen. But I don't think Paul is speaking about that here. This word stigma can also refer to brands or tattoos that masters would put on their slaves. This brand marked them as property of a certain master. And I think what Paul is saying is, 
I belong to Jesus Christ. I champion this message. And I have the scars of persecution to prove it. Paul was beaten severely. Paul was stoned. Paul was put in prison. Paul was whipped. Paul says, I bear the marks of my Lord Jesus Christ. I've suffered for him, and I've suffered for the message of him crucified. And so should we. We should be willing to. This is the central truth of Christianity. Now, I'll tell you, it's weird. People will persecute those who preach the cross. Even within religion. People will say, don't tell me about your bloody religion. Don't talk about the blood of Christ. It offends people. Listen, the enemy wants to keep as many people as possible away from the central message of Christianity. Which is Jesus Christ crucified. Because the enemy knows that that's the truth. That's what changes people's lives. And so the enemy, I believe, will even come up with the new religions. Keep everybody busy, you know, washing their hands in a certain way before they eat. Involved in some kind of meaningless ritualistic exercise that they don't even understand what it means. As long as they don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ. And let's face it, the message of the cross is offensive to the world. One person said it tells us some very unpalatable truths about ourselves, namely that we are sinners under the righteous curse of God's law and we cannot save ourselves. Christ bore our sin and curse precisely because we could gain release from them in no other way. Every time you look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I'm dying. Nothing in history or in the universe, cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we visited a place called Calvary. And it's there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. And that offends people. Offend people. It is the central theme of the Christian faith that the Son of God left heaven, bore our sins on the cross, was crucified for them. And if he doesn't do that, 
then we can't be saved. We can't be given a new heart. But thank God he did, amen? Thank God he did. I hope the message of the cross doesn't offend you. I hope the message of the cross to you would be the grace of God reaching out to you, the love of God, what he would do to die for you. Now, one of the ways that we champion the message of the cross, that we boast in the cross, is by keeping the communion service regularly. Every time we come to this table, we're to remember the cross and what Jesus did. In just a moment, I'm going to hand out, we're going to hand out these elements, the, the, the broken body represented by the bread, the shed blood represented by the juice. You hold these in your hands and you reflect on what Christ did for you. understand what he did for you and understand how you benefit. And I do believe that it's important every time we do this as a body that we, we also reflect on our own lives. Are we following Christ like we should? Is there something that we need to turn away from? Renew our relationship, our, our walk with him considering what he did for you. So let's turn the lights low. Let's bow our heads. Those that are going to help me uh, distribute, why don't you come on up? I'd like you to just have some alone time with the Lord. Thank him for what he's done. My brother, my sister, thank him for the new heart. The new change, the new creation. Thank him for that. Thank him for the power of salvation that he has worked in you. Ask him to work through you in powerful ways. Perhaps recommit yourself to him. If you're here this night and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never placed your faith and trust in him, do so right now. That's the miracle. That's when you become the new creation. When you admit that you need him, you admit that you're a sinner, you understand what he did, the price that he paid for you, and you ask him to be your Savior.
He'll change you. He'll save you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you're here tonight and you've never done that, I'd like you to pray this. I'd like you to place your faith and trust in Christ right now before you partake of these elements. Because these you do in remembrance of what Jesus did for you. So if you've never received him, I'll lead you in a prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I bow before you. I humble myself before you. I recognize that I am sinful, that I cannot save myself. I can never be good enough, religious enough. I must throw myself at your mercy and grace. Save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. Be my Lord and Savior. Give me a new heart, a new nature, and help me to serve you. Let's worship the Lord. Let's pray. Let's thank him. And hold on to your elements, and we'll all partake at the same time. There's two cups that you need to get. The bread's inside a cup on the bottom, and then the juice up top.